Hey everyone, welcome to Bridge to the Bay with Dr. Varis. I'm Dr. Matt Varis, and welcome to episode one with my best friend, Kevin Bartman. Now the reason why I decided to interview Kevin first was because we're best friends. And so he knows me really well, and he's going to keep me honest and call me out on my bullshit if I ever try some. But also, we started our PhDs together, and Kevin actually dropped out partway through, but I continued on and finished mine. And I think that was the right decision for each of us, but we talk about why Kevin made that decision, and also eventually why I transitioned to industry outside of academia. And you'll see that I'm still a little sore from how I finished my PhD up, so I go on a bit of a rant. So feel free to fast forward through that. But I was being honest, and we are having an open conversation. So if hearing about some of those things sounds interesting, then enjoy. And if not, hopefully one of the future episodes will be of interest. And just a little housekeeping, in case I put my foot in my mouth. Calico Life Sciences, LLC, is not associated with or involved in this podcast in any way, including any oversight of its content or production. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and that of my guests, and not those of Calico Life Sciences, LLC, or any affiliated entities. Thanks. Hey, Kev. How's it going, man? It's been a while. Yeah, man. It's been a been a few weeks but that's a while for us yeah you know for sure. uh used to hanging out with you all the time so it's going good had a few weeks a uh, couple weeks off well not actually i had seven days off um for seven you, that's a lot <laughs> that seems it seems like three weeks <laughs> um but i've been where i keep myself busy at home we were talking a little bit about about that you know can't ever sit still for too long yeah yeah but uh, it's been nice. My back needed it. Back was starting to hurt. Yeah, that's for sure. It's literally back-breaking work. You got to take yeah. care of yourself. So what about you? Um, I don't know. Just like took the break. Today is what? The 4th? 3rd. 3rd of January. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky enough to go home and see family. Um, doing my quarantine right now. So, but it was good. I got a refresh after moving out to California, not seeing anyone for at least six weeks. I wasn't able yeah. to hug anyone, which is tough. So, um, yeah, it was good. I got a recharge and now I'm amped and I'm ready to go. I got sick of the winter and ready to be back in California. It's like mm -hmm. 13, 14 degrees Celsius every day. So it's been pretty nice i think my cortisol levels are at an acceptable amount right now mentally you feel refreshed yeah you know so that's good man yeah it's not looking uh so nice behind you though right now not as nice as the intro you showed me <laughs> yeah so this is what winter in san francisco looks like we don't get snow but we get some mist we get some rain it rained twice between august and like in Christmas, basically. Um, and now it's rained twice since I've been back within five days. So um, it's rainy season in the winter. But by the end of January, it'll be warm again and sunny, hopefully. So well, nice. Um, well, hopefully I can come out and visit you. Yeah, 
For sure. And this definitely we'll beats see how... the snow and the cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just for, uh, I guess, you know, just for some context, I'm in London, Ontario right now, which is where I knew Maddie from. Uh, went to school together. So I'm sure, you know, we're going to talk about all that. But... Yeah. Well, let, let's get into that now. So we did a little brush up. I'm in California and I went back home to Canada for the winter break, but that's where you're at. So yeah, like how do we know each other? And maybe we can go from there and talk about um, where we really got to be good friends during our PhD and then how we parted ways and you know what that all means. Yeah. Well, I guess I, um, we lived in the same residence at first year university and we didn't even really know each other. Uh, I was hunkered down doing my own nonsense and not really, you know, making a ton of friends and, you know, not really looking to make a ton of friends, but I, um, I roomed with, uh, someone who became a mutual friend and kind of you, and then you ended up living with them in second and third year and, and fourth year. And I ended up living with other, uh, with other goons from, from another college <laughs> and then uh, ended up living by myself for a while. And I, and I start, you know, I kept in contact with my roommate and eventually, you know, I would see you on the couch watching <laughs> Raptors games. Yeah. And that's, I think what really brought us together at first because, um, you know, we both love basketball and we both love the Raptors mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. uh, and then we started watching lots of Raptors games together before I think this was like second and or maybe maybe third year university is when that started. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we became really close, probably closer than I was with any, you know, with my original roommate to begin with at that time. Yeah. You for know, sure. um, still really close with him. Uh, but, you know, like we uh hung out together maybe two three times a week watching every raptors game it seems like in fourth year when i lived by myself yeah come over right up the street and, uh, i could walk right up there it took me like five minutes it was great exactly yeah and we we spent a lot of time together you know analyzing the games uh watching playoffs together all that stuff yeah and that was before we ever kind of worked in the same environment and then uh just by Random chance, it seemed like to me. So you were, crazy. <laughs> we were basically like, you know, I, I'm originally from Toronto, so um, a lot of my, like, friends back from, you know, high school and stuff I keep in touch with are from there. But as far as people I've been, you know, I've known in London, I've been here for over 10 years, uh, you were, you know, you were my best friend. So, Likewise. You know, yeah, so we, we became really close. And then just so happened, you know, we were doing our own things. You were in biology or or uh, yeah. generalized biology, biology for undergrad yeah and i tried to specialize in genetics but i couldn't get into one course so yeah biology. right and i was doing something similar but i was in the uh like i guess the pre-med program but it had like uh you can specialize and i specialized in biochemistry and uh immunology and so we never had any classes together but we were, right. you know, in the same, learning a lot of the same subject matter. Yeah, there was overlap for sure. But yours was more like technical from a chemistry angle. And mine mm-hmm. was more general and more like application based. More physiology. Yeah. Like, actually, you probably had a better pre-med education than I did. Yeah. Even though I was in that whatever umbrella of that program. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up doing uh, my fourth year honors thesis in the summer before fourth year. Mm-hmm. and um did fourth year 
we hung out. That was the time when we were hanging out, and yeah. you were in you were in a lab uh, doing a fourth year thesis. Yeah, at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so after I finished fourth year, I decided I wanted to stay and I wanted to do a PhD. And so like a I, uh, yeah, <laughs> and I wanted to do, so I wanted to do specifically a PhD um, dental combined degree where you do your PhD first and then you go to dental school and you, you do all of the admissions process within the first year of what would be your master's when you start it. Mm-hmm. And if you go through all of that uh, application process uh, and you get admitted to the program, what happens is as soon as you're done within five, they give you five and a maximum of six years um, to complete the PhD. And then you just go right into dental school. You don't have to apply to dental school at that point because you've already been admitted. And so as long as you complete your PhD portion in the first five to six years, you go straight mm-hmm. into dental school. So that was the program I went into. And so that kind of... Um, that kind of uh, narrowed down my options in terms of what lab I wanted to go into because I had to be doing something related to dentistry, which was part of, you know, part of the requirement because the idea is that you're going to become a clinician scientist in the dental field. Yeah. Um, could, you, so, could you just say like how many people are in that program just to just talk about how rare it is, how long it is? Like this was yeah. a crazy decision from you. Like most people aren't willing to commit to that <laughs> r- straight up, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was two people in the, um, in the um, PhD part of the program at the time. Right. And maybe one or two in the dental school portion at the time. And so definitely I would say five people or less. Right. And um, the program is basically... Best case scenario, if you finish your PhD in four years, if everything's set up perfectly well for you and, and mm-hmm. you just you, you just hit it um, right off the bat, then uh, it's a four years in PhD, four years in um, dental school. Worst case scenario, six years and then four years. So worst case, right. it's eight to 10 year program, mm-hmm. most realistically nine. Um, but the previous student, uh, the previous student, um, in my lab, the PhD student who was finishing up was going to dental school. He was actually in that program. He was one of the people who was in that program. That's one of the reasons why I chose that lab because uh, the supervisor was in the biochemistry department mm-hmm. and he studied uh, mineralization. And uh, a lot of his work was done in animal models, you know, on the mandible and on the on the teeth. So um, that mm-hmm. was a, seemed like a good fit. The project. Uh, the projects that were before me seemed like um, you know really good opportunities, and uh, the collaborators that they worked with were high profile and all right. that stuff. So yeah, you did your due um, diligence, right? Did my due diligence, and I went into that into that lab. Um, things didn't work out exactly the way I you know I hoped they would have. Uh, but the the point to answer your original question is I went into that lab. Okay, first day I get there, pop out, like take a drink of water, and there you are coming out of the door right next to me in the lab next door. So crazy. And I had no idea no. that you were down we there. We didn't communicate this um, at all. I, I, I didn't even know who your supervisor was or that you interviewed with him. Mm-mm. And literally on the same floor, like two labs on over. On the same floor, yeah, like right around the corner. So now we get to work together every single day. <laughs> not not on the same stuff, but 
we didn't have a lot of our own equipment for the projects that yeah. I was doing. Yeah. And so I was, I was constantly in your lab, especially for the, uh, the microtome mm-hmm. for taking, uh, you know, sections of, uh, of the animals and everything. So, um, I was in there all the time and yeah. I felt like I kind of integrated myself in your lab because I was on an Island over there by myself. Right. It was uh, it pretty, pretty much just you. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, yeah, I don't know how much you want to get into that uh, into into that situation, but yeah, well, I I think that's a good start. I mean, I just wanted to get at how ambitious of a program that was. It's it's ridiculous yeah. to commit to eight to ten years right off the bat. Even the kids that do a dual degree in medicine and a PhD, for instance, typically at least get some time shaved off of their PhD, right? Yeah. So there's a benefit to going in. Um, this really was just you didn't have to go over the application process partway through kind of thing. Um, I like the security of it. Yeah. Uh, and to me, like I'm a kind of a technician, right? I like that's just kind of part of my personality. I like to do things uh, precise. I like to do things right. Yeah. And I felt and I like to do things with my I like to work with my hands, too. And I've gone back to that kind of what I'm doing now. But the the idea was I really love science. I really love the scientific process. I wanted to be involved in some sort of research. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I don't know if maybe um, I, I like the security of maybe like you know being a doctor or a dentist as well. It's it's quite you know ha- putting all your eggs profession. in the research basket. Yeah, yeah, into a profession, putting all your eggs into the research basket can be um, scary, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Long term, so. I like the security of, of maybe being a dentist and I love that you have to be a technician and you can be like with your hands, you have to be skilled and you have to learn like a craft or, you know, something when you're operating on somebody or doing more higher level stuff in that field, which is what I wanted to end up ultimately doing. And I thought that would be a satisfying career for myself. Right. And so for me, and I commit, I have no problem with commitment. Right. right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, that, I, I went into it and um, ended up getting a place out here and kind of establishing myself. Yeah, putting roots down. Uh, to be here for a long time. Yeah, putting roots down. Yeah. So, And I'm still here. I'm doing something completely different. But, you know, yeah, I, I don't have any regrets. For sure. You know. Yeah, and the reason I'm trying to bring this up for everyone is that, you know, we, we both entered PhD programs, which I guess is fairly rare for the general public but i just want to articulate like i would go to question i would go to kevin with questions about biochemistry like he's much better at a lot of the technical aspects of what we were doing and took the science very seriously he was always a better writer always had a better memory than me so did better on sort of like rote memory tests and things like that that i'd always get pissed off about um So he's like really uniquely suited for this kind of program. And we both started off like with a, you know, our heads screwed on straight, it seemed, and we were making progress, Um, but it didn't work out. Like we had different personalities. What was fulfilling to us was different or what we were willing to put up with was different. Um, And so we had to make different decisions. Yours happened to be a better off not to finishing it up. And mine happened to be better off finishing it up, although the last couple of years wasn't so great. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe I should have got out earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. But 
ultimately that call is up to the individual and there's no right or wrong way to do it. And just because you're smart, just because you're capable, doesn't mean that sticking through it in academia is the best, the best place for you or the best decision. Yeah. And it was the whole experience was really heartbreaking yeah. because I don't like to, um, I don't like to feel like I'm giving up on something that I, especially when I made that level of commitment to it, it's mm. a very difficult decision for me to stop, uh, to stop with the program. And I don't want to disparage, um, like, I don't want to, you know, talk about my supervisor in a, in a yeah. bad way or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, it's the way things were in the lab, it's not a unique situation just to him. Mm -hmm. And as a person, I've always said like, I liked my supervisor on a personal level. Right. I, I, yeah, know, me too. I don't think he's, a, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, most people who know him do. He's a quiet, reserved guy, doesn't interact with a whole lot of people. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he's a likable guy. I think he cares about people. Yeah. I think he cared about me. Mm -hmm. I just think I was in a situation where, you know, things, and, and like I said, when I came in, the projects that, you know, I don't want to get too much in, in, yeah, into yeah. the specifics of it. But the projects that were before me were really exciting. I got to use, uh, I basically was doing genetic uh, engineering, you know, a, a mouse model to, to, to study the function of a protein mm -hmm. using a virus, using live animal models. I got to, uh, to his credit, he, he gave me the resources to, you know, I had this idea to do a, a rat model for the same gene because we just, there was limitations of using mice. I wanted to explore mm -hmm. using rats and to get a better, you know, larger bones to be able to kind of, um, you know, see things during the growth uh, of the animal that we weren't really seeing in the mice because of some of the technical limitations of doing the experiments on such small animals. Mm -hmm. So like, stuff like, the, you know, stuff like that was, um, was great. I just think that um, the projects were kind of out of our league yeah. in terms of how we were set up as a lab. Your infrastructure and, and personnel. The personnel, I mean, the, the, the lab technicians in the lab were not familiar with animal models. Yeah. And nobody worked up there um, right. with the animals. Um, and a lot of things were disorganized. Uh, a lot of the resources actually came from having a collaborator in the States that was, you know, uh, a distinguished you know, person with a, a great lab putting out a lot of great research, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it was kind of a distant resource, not something that I could easily tap into. And the resources in our own lab uh, depleted pretty quickly because the, the PhD student left, uh, left quite a mess behind him. But again, retrospectively, I understand why, yeah. you know what I mean? That yeah. He was dealing with the same limitations that I was, or the same problems that I was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the other students in the lab also left. The lab technicians, um, there was one who left before I got there. And she, you know, did some, I guess, some cell culture, but even she didn't work with the animals, really. And then the lab tech that was there, I loved her, uh, again, as a person, but it was completely out of her expertise. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so the technician couldn't help me. There was no students there to help me. And the supervisor himself was not an expert on any of this stuff when it came down to how to do the experiments, but also, you know, wasn't as involved as he needed to be, let's just be honest about yeah. uh, when it comes to mm -hmm. um, developing the ideas, understanding the ideas right. um, that I was running with. I came up with all the ideas for the projects. Um, you know, I had a lot of excitement. Mm -hmm. You know, I did my research. I knew my stuff. I put together all these ideas and then it just kind of was like, okay, well, you're on your own. And these projects were big 
ideas that would have required cooperation and collaboration between multiple people within a lab setting. And I didn't have access to anybody. Right. And, you know, every other supervisor where, you know, has their own problems, has their own students that they have to support. And I think, you know, my supervisor also got, you know, he was just very involved in many different other things that didn't have to do with the work that was going in the lab. Like he was very involved in the dental school admissions. Uh, he was fixing mm-hmm. the admissions process. He was helping with the administration of the dental school. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like partially a uh, reason why he, he invested the majority of his time into that stuff was probably because he felt like he was getting a little out of touch with what was going on in the lab and, you know what I mean? Wanted mm-hmm. to put his, he's a little older, uh, approaching retirement. Yeah. He, I don't think he was really able to dig into the science the way that I was able to do. And, you know, what ended up resulting was just a lot of responsibility on me and um, doing a lot of things that I was told I shouldn't be doing, right. that I kind of had to do in yeah. order to make the project go anywhere. And it just yeah. couldn't get it off the ground. I didn't have any support when it comes to even just, you know, uh, lab technician stuff, like, you know, um, making solutions, keeping track of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, uh, helping train, right? Right. Um, all time. Cleaning up glassware, you know, right? just everything, right? When you think about it. And then all the uh, animal protocols and, and everything like that, which, again, we don't need to right. yeah. get stuck in the, in the minutia of mm-hmm. that. But, you know, so it was a lot. I was taking on a lot more than I could handle. And I pushed my limits of what I was capable of handling at one point to its maximum. Right. And, and I really watched was, this all play out. Yeah. yeah. As, as did several other people. And yeah. the thing that kept me going a lot was that was the fact that everyone seemed to respect me, mm-hmm. even though I never published an article. I could, I could never, yeah. I could, I was there for four years. I didn't publish anything. I was spinning my wheels for four years trying to make some sort of progress. That's so why I say it was heartbreaking. I mm-hmm. put so many mm-hmm. hours and we're not getting paid anything. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Below minimum um, wage for the hours we're working for sure. And, and at the end there, like, you know, uh, we got a couple undergraduate students. We got an undergraduate student and a master's student who didn't really know how to do anything at the time, which is normal yep. in that situation. You usually have the infrastructure to be able to train these people. I was that infrastructure yeah. and I was trying to make my own projects go. So I was working double hard in the last eight months or whatever, leading up to when I finally decided, you know, to, to stick, take a step back. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was multiple days I was there for over 20 hours on my feet, running yeah. around in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and I had access to everybody's equipment. Everybody trusted me to use their equipment. Yeah. Everybody, you know what I mean? I didn't want to burden people too much. But they knew I was running around doing my thing in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Me and my supervisor had friction. So I sometimes I'd leave at 11 a.m., come back at 4.30, yeah. work all night, you know, leave again at 11 a.m. I, I would sometimes sleep on my desk, wake up at 9 and keep going. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and I was doing all this stuff by myself. Yeah. You know, it's not like for the most part, no one was suffering through it with me. I did make my undergrad student uh, stay late with yeah, me a couple poor of guy. times. <laughs> Um, but it's like all this work and it's going nowhere. And I didn't have, uh, anyone to consult with, out, you know, inside of my own lab that was going to help me at that point of my development. I was already, you know what I mean? I needed real resources that I didn't have. So yeah. What, what do they say? You're like, um, you're 
something without a paddle or something. You're out without a life raft. In, shit, in Shit's Creek without a paddle or something like Up that? Up Shit's Creek without a paddle, yeah. Like, yeah. you were out too far and really couldn't pull yourself out. Um, I was trying I was trying hard to pull myself out. Right, right. And um, it's, it's yeah. yeah, so th- that kind of sums it up there, right? Like, yeah. it's not an entirely uncommon story either. No. Especially for a PhD. Um, no. Which is, I think is sad uh, in many ways. Like, um, oftentimes we have some of the brightest people in our society mm. try and enter a field in earnest. Like, they really want to do great science, commit themselves to the work, are willing to work crazy hours, but really aren't rewarded or no. sort You're of commended um, for doing that. It's almost expected. Um, yes. And it it ends up becoming like a race for the people willing to be disrespected the most at a certain point if you stick with it long enough, at least yeah, compared to like to entering the workforce and in, in like most other industries. It really depends on where you go to. Yeah. I think people um, in positions of power, you know, employers, whatever, um, have mo- mostly, okay, majority of the time um exploit people whether they mean to or not whether Mm -hmm. that's like some nefarious intention they have or not they'll end up using people um out of laziness a lot of the time Mm -hmm. not wanting to do work themselves um or out of necessity because of the position they're in yeah a combination of a lot of those different factors Mm -hmm. and i agree with you i felt I feel I have no uh, ill will to anybody I worked with, right. my supervisor, anyone from my lab. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My thing is, I was exactly like you said at the beginning, like very eager to. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to scrape by yeah. for 10 years and then plus after that and, you know, postdoc potentially, potentially yeah. uh, specialize. I might not actually start making real money until I'm. 40. Yeah. And you're you know committed I mean? to that. Like you, and I'm fine with that. Willing to do all right. That. Yeah. As long as there's some sense and I, you know, not to be, you know, not like I was being, uh, completely idealistic, but in a way I was being too idealistic or, you know, I was naive to the actual how, how things are in reality down there because, you know, um, you, you just, uh, at the end of the day, it's, you don't get out what you put in, right? right. And if you get self, if I was getting ten percent out of what I was putting in, mm-hmm. I would have made it. Yeah, that's how I. That's how I felt. Yeah, and I wasn't even getting that. You know what I mean? And that's that's the difference now. That's why I'm much happier now, uh, doing what I did now. But um, basically, it, at the end of that, when I left, I basically took a medical leave of absence and never came back. Yeah. Cause I was stressed out beyond my, my limitations at that point. Mm-hmm. And I wanted things to change and I kind of gave him an ultimatum, my supervisor and just like, look, right. Either I need the resources to complete my project or I'm never going to get out of here. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take a leave of absence for a year and please help me. Right. You know, yeah. when I, when I come back to hit the ground running and to finish this thing up, it just never worked out that way. Yeah. Uh, there were no resources. There was no, so it, I, I ended up just, you know, I, I called the university at one point, like maybe two years down the road, and just said, uh, you know, unenroll me or whatever, because I'd extended my leave of absence like a whole nother year after that, which was yeah. out of the norm. Yeah. 
Uh, I was talking to the university uh, graduate department and all this stuff, and I just let it all go because it, just, it wasn't going to materialize the way I wanted it to, uh, you know, the way it was originally intended to materialize. Yeah. It would have had to be, they would have had to put me with someone else doing a completely different project and, you know, doing just basically mishmashing everything together at the end and calling it a PhD. That's right. not why I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this to do something, even if the results were all negative, yeah. to, to do something worth attempting mm -hmm. and to do something worth five, six years of stress constantly to, to know right. how things are going to work out and to have that level of commitment and to not get paid for it. Right. That's another thing where it's like, yeah. you know what, it's all worth it at the end of the day to have this prestigious title to your name, to say that you're a doctor, you've put your, you've put your dues in yeah. to be, and you earn that title. And yeah. I think that's why people endure that is because they know that's what's necessary. Right. Whether it's right or not, which, I mean, you can make a parallel to the NCAA college basketball right. players versus the NBA is a very, very similar parallel. And colleges yeah. and universities, this is how they operate. And, you mm -hmm. you know, most of us don't know this when you're going in into it, especially if your parents didn't go to university, which I, I don't know. Did your parents go to university? No. Well, neither, my mom went a couple years but dropped out. So, right. yeah, very little they information might. to go on. Yeah. Yeah. The same same thing. My dad's a plumber. My mom dropped out of high school. So, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, I, you know, when you don't have that kind of uh, somebody to tell you, look, like, you know, it's not all rosy. Right. You know I mean, this is what to look for when you go to a lab. And now I would tell people that while I was there, I'd be like, look, you're going to do an undergraduate project. You're going to do a master's yeah. or something. Someone talked to me. I said, these are the things that you want to look for. These right. are the questions you want to ask. And if you don't ask them or if they're uncomfortable questions for them to answer, then it's probably not the place you want to be. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's tough because, it's, yeah, for these kids that really want to do a PhD and pick a good one, it does take a while to and to cast a wide net to find the right combination of uh, an enthralling enough project to keep you going, um, a supervisor that's compassionate enough that you'd want to work for through the tough times. Uh, colleagues that can keep you going on the day to day and can help you out when you need a little extra help. But then also the historical information of students going through the process and having a rewarding experience. And unfortunately, to have that right combination of factors, you know, a, a professor that's a good scientist as well as a supervisor, um, it's really so rare. rare to find. It's so rare, man. Yeah. It's so rare. Really, and that's really that's rare. what's so sad about it. Yeah. Is that yeah. my story? Now, a lot of most most people, even bad, you know, labs that didn't have their stuff in order. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Most of them were in a lot better shape than mine still. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So and and sometimes and that's just in the sense that you will be pushed along more so. And I was told from the beginning, look. This is going to be very independent on your part. Mm -hmm. I was told that from the beginning. So I knew in that sense what I was getting into. But my personality, I want to take the lead anyways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, I was like, okay, I have no problem with that. Um, most people would hear that and that would turn them off mm -hmm. to some degree. And they ended up getting pushed through and maybe they don't get accomplished what they want to get accomplished, but they just want to get that degree. 
you know, and to make it through, but they don't, they're not satisfied with the experience at the end of the day. Right. And, you know, forget whether the, the science actually tells you something useful because most of the time it doesn't. And that's no yeah. fault of anybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's whether the idea had merit in the first place or not. Mm-hmm. But you just, it's just unsatisfying for all the different reasons that we've talked about because people, that list that you ran through about all these things need to be in order, maybe one or two things on that list would be close to par yeah. for the average lab. And that's why, you know, if I had to do it all over again, not that I would, because I'm I'm just saying if I wanted to do that sort of degree again, yeah. I wouldn't do it at Western. I could have went to another school, mm-hmm. to a, another lab in the States or right. something like that. And I could have found a lab have been way better off in that because I feel like you've got to go for top quality when if you're looking at yourself as a prospect, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or a lab yeah. as an asset, right? Yeah. Um, you want to go somewhere where they're going to be able to put you to good use and get the best out of you. Right. Right. It's like going to and a so, D1 college basketball school because that's where the scouts yeah. are. That's how you're yeah. going to get drafted. And they can actually pull it off. Yeah. You want to go to a lab where you can put your level of whatever, like my ideas, everything I, I mm-hmm. could have put out there yeah. and it, it would have actually been doable. Mm-hmm. And we would have had people looking after the housekeeping stuff that, I wouldn't have had to worry about my time would have been much better used elsewhere. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, I could have asked, called on an extra set of hands if, if there was a, you know, an experiment where you need an extra set of hands. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to do things in four different waves over the span of 24 hours yeah. and not leave the lab because I could have had someone working alongside me, you know, st- stuff like that. So it's um, when I look back and I see like all the supervisors that we got to meet. Mm-hmm. Lots. I just got the hundreds. Uh, yeah, I would lots. probably say by the time I was done. Yeah, you you more than you more than I, but I was involved in the biochemistry department with the you know biochemistry club, and mm-hmm. yeah, I know a lot of the professors in that department. Yeah, and my perspective going into grad school about oh, this is like you know everything's at a really high standard because this is the air of. You know, the air of the environment is that. Yeah. If you if you're not in it yourself and you're looking from the outside in, mm-hmm. is this is this is something you want to be involved in. This is like the pinnacle, right? Yeah. When I left, I just felt sad a lot, mostly for the supervisors mm-hmm. who had spent their whole lives in coming up from the same point that we're talking about. Yeah. Then getting your PhD, then getting a job. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these um uh, supervisors, most of them are in very secure positions who have been there for a long time, spent their whole careers there. Mm-hmm. You know, are are within years of retirement, a lot of the guys that I knew. Yeah. And I if they were really honest with themselves, would probably tell you that they it was a disappointment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you can see it you can you can see it when you're in that environment that that they didn't accomplish what they set out to accomplish. They didn't get out of the experience what they wanted to get out of right. because they were limited by resources and limited by politics mm-hmm. and at every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And and that's the difference, I mean, between, you know, finding a really good spot mm-hmm. where they have the funding, um, they have the resources. At the top, top universities, this stuff does happen at a high level, the, the level that you pictured it being at when you go into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you realize it's just not, it's not that. 
And you're you're in a spot now where you're actually in that spot, mm-hmm. and and it's amazing because you've already you've always said that's what you're going to do. You're going to go to California. You're going to work. <laughs> you're going to work on this. You're going to you yeah know, talk crazy. You're going to work for these companies. <laughs> you, and yeah, it's like okay, everyone's right, like okay, okay, right, okay. right, yeah, okay, sure. Maddie, okay. <laughs> but you're there, man. You're there. You made it through. Yeah, and um. You're where you want to be. Right. And whether or not at the end of the day you get that satisfaction out of your career, I think where based on where you are now is ultimately, yes, some of it may be up to resources and politics, but not really because of where you're at. So I think right. it's ultimately going to be up to you. And that's that's the position that you wanted to be in, is a position where you're happy. You can get out what you put in. Right. Yeah. And that's what ultimately in my at least in my view the way that i will view the world that's what happiness is to me right whether it's in your job whether it's in your relationships mm-hmm. um you know those are really the two most important things right for yeah me yeah in for my sure. in, in, in my world but yeah that's if you get out what you put in that equates to happiness for me right and i always put putting a lot out or putting a lot in sorry to um uh to to whatever i'm doing mm-hmm. and um now at this stage in my life, I feel like I'm getting out what I'm putting in, yeah, in my relationships, in my job, mm-hmm. and so that's why I'm much happier doing what I do now than I was then, where I was, I, I hadn't been more unhappy at any other point in my life, right? You know what I mean? And I could see you go through it because, like, you're a very, mm-hmm. I would say, like, your disposition is optimistic, or at least, like, happy like on a day to day, like playful, like you like to crack jokes, like you don't want to be down, you want to have people around you be happy and smiling and and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so when it was, it basically turned into like two years of you like rarely smiling and just being down every single day. And that's not a way to live. Mm -hmm. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's not tenable. So I'm glad you made the decision you did. I probably would have advised you to make it sooner. But it, it hurts. Most people do. Right? Like it, Most it people really did. hurts. Like probably at the point where it was reasonable was like you're three years in mm-hmm. to a grad degree. You still don't have a publication, which starts to hurt you at that point. Because you can't get the scholarships to take on extra funding or even though I did I did get some scholarships based on my writing right. and my ideas again. Yeah. But I just <laughs> and, you know, it's like it reflects on me like, oh, he can't get it done. But from the outside, but everyone who was there and knew the situation I was in and gave yeah. me the respect that I felt like I deserved. I mean, obviously it would have been more if I was pumping out stuff, but they saw they saw me there. They saw they saw what I was doing. Mm-hmm. They spoke to me. They knew what my level was, my capability was. They just they knew the situation. So I didn't feel like and I don't have like I don't have a pride issue about caring what other people think about me. Right. For the most part. I only care what the people uh, who are close to me think about me. Yeah. So people who are just peripheral to my situation could think really whatever they want. It's not going to affect my my demeanor or how happy I am at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's 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 what my friend, what my best friends feel, what my wife feels, what my dad, my brother feels. That's the stuff that gets to me. You know, if they say, "Oh man, I'm disappointed in you," or "You're not right. doing what you should be doing." That's what really hurts. Yeah. So I didn't let that part get uh, get to me too much, but it is in the back of your mind. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Start questioning your self worth and things like that, which is not absolutely. Good. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, but I made it through, and I think that experience, um, probably, just for life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Making it through something like that, and although I didn't finish it, you know what I mean. That you said, you said you probably would have advised me to 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 get out of that earlier. Yeah, everybody did. I remember. Some lab technicians, <laughs> like three months into me starting, said, if I were you, because they knew the situation, the situation of the lab, yeah. right? Said they, they both looked at me and said, well, particularly one of them, but the other one was nodding along. And I think you remember this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were you, I would get out. Right. I would get out right now. Yeah. And that was three months in. And I was like, you're crazy. <laughs> right. Right. But being in because it, because I was committed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I made, I took all these steps. I was working. So I was so, I had so much uh, enthusiasm and exuberance about the situation. I said, you guys, don't worry. I will make this happen. Right. You guys don't know what I'm, what I'm <laughs> in my head. Right. Right. Yeah. And I always default back to that uh, rationale. Yeah. And that was the first time in my life where, you know, uh, at least for something like this, the important. Yeah. Where I was like, I can't make this happen by myself. Yeah. And and it took me four years of smashing my head up against the wall and doing everything I could within my power mm-hmm. uh, and pushing myself to mental, physical, emotional limits right. to say to get to reach that conclusion. Yeah. Whereas, you know, my dad told me, uh, I don't know, like a year and a half in, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not looking it's looking like you might need to cut ties with this. I don't know. It's OK. I'll make it work. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it was obvious to anyone who was paying attention, who was thinking about the situation, try to help me out, that that probably was for the best. I just, my stubbornness led me to really push it to its conclusion, where I finally looked at the situation and said, there's nothing more I can do to make this work. Yeah. And that was the time that I decided to back out. And that was hard to deal with, but it was honestly... If I didn't do it like that, I feel like I would still it would still chew me up. I don't think about it, <laughs> right? Yeah, at all. Yeah, it's not <laughs> on my mind. I don't want to go back. I don't have grudges against anybody because right. I did everything I could. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, was it the wisest thing? Maybe not. But if if I had backed out earlier, would I have been able to live with myself? Probably not. Right. Because that's have to just prove it to yourself that you couldn't yeah. do it no matter how hard you tried. And that's just a fact of life. Sometimes you need some help. You can't be, that is a fact of, can't be your own, you know, your own mentor, supervisor, uh, you know, hero in some cases, and then also execute on all the stuff you have to do. Like sometimes you need that other person, even to, to have an outside perspective, like professional athletes need a coach, you know, um, it just helps to have another, set of eyes and ears and a brain on the same scenario. I mean, it's really narcissism on my point. <laughs> and and I, just looking at it objectively now <laughs> and talking about it, like, and not, you know, I, I, I'm a good guy. I yeah. don't, you know, I, I don't manipulate people right. or like not in that way. Right. But just like uh, the way that of uh, this self-confidence, mm-hmm. right? the belief in your own ability, whether it's warranted or not. Yeah. And, and 
but that's a huge reason why I've been successful in what I'm doing now. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I have learned, I learned that lesson that you need other people. Sometimes you need that other person. Mm-hmm. I learned that lesson. It took me like what, 26, 26, 27 years to learn that yeah. life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I have learned it to the point now where I, what I'm doing now, and I'll just, cause I brought it up before mm-hmm. the short story is I'm, I'm a property manager. So is what I started doing. I started property management after the PhD, after I backed out pretty soon afterwards, mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to have a family hookup. Um, yeah. you know, uh, my father owns an apartment building in London. He bought one when I moved here mm-hmm. and, um, that's, I mean, just to, just to glaze over it now, but that's been a, obviously a huge luxury is having that sort of, um, uh, financial resources behind you at every mm-hmm. turn in my life. And that's yeah. part of the reason why I was able to push that situation as far as I did. Right. Again, it was kind of like uh, a test for myself. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Cause if, if reality strikes that you can't, if you, there is no other option for you financially, you're going to be you know, again, in Schitt's Creek without a paddle. Maybe I degrade myself to the point in that situation to just say, what do I have to do? I don't care about any standards. I don't care about the original projects. Mm -hmm. Tell me, because other people in that situation in that lab did this. And they said, I will do whatever it takes, no matter how low we have to set the bar here, Mm -hmm. to scrape by. And I was not willing to do that. But I had the luxury of of making that decision because I yeah. have a safety net and my safety net is, you know, I grew up uh, in a family, my dad, my grandfather, originally they immigrated here from Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started a, um, a plumbing business, very much um, a grunt of a man uh, still is, <laughs> yeah. was not very good. I didn't have a very good business sense uh-huh. for whatever reason. My father um, just naturally has that in him yeah. where he knows how to make money. Uh-huh. And by his early 20s was just like, you know what, I can't to his dad, just I can't watch you (laughs) work every night till 11 p.m. and not make any money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's killing me. So he took over the business pretty early on and has made a, you know, pretty decent fortune for himself with that business. Also purchasing other assets, Mm -hmm. you know, in the in in the rental um properties market since i was young i mean we rented out our basement in our house mm-hmm. uh he had a, he bought a small house in markham you know we were living in richmond hill uh we moved there uh well I, i've been there my whole life but we moved to that house in like 99 and at the time i think he spent 400 grand on that house did renovations inside the house sold it for like 1.2 or 1.3 million wow. um done really well for himself mm-hmm. you know he's bought cottages uh and it's it's all, I mean, he's taught me, um, I have him as a mentor in, in, in finance, right? Right. Yeah. I guess you could say, or basically doing Business. the same. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the rental properties game, especially, um, you know, so I'm very fortunate for that. I wish mm-hmm. I had someone, uh, 1% uh, of what he was capable of in, any other facet of my yeah. life of, you know, something that I've, that I've tried to do and I, and I haven't. So I'm very lucky to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had the security, he bought a house for me to live in. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he, um, purchased an apartment building while I was there. Right. In, in school. Yeah. 
um, just because the you know it's too expensive to buy in Toronto. Yeah. So he was looking at peripheral markets. Said, why not London? They're already you know he's already there. My brother actually moved out here for, for a, a year because yeah. he didn't know what the hell he was going to do in his life. Yeah. And he was going through an existential yeah. crisis. So he he had to come out here and basically vegetate yeah. for a year and a half and get his mind right and then go back. He went back to Toronto. But when he moved out here was around the time my dad purchased the apartment building. And um, and so he would go and he would check up on things for my dad and he would, you know, do some of the plumbing that needed to be done because my brother... Uh, has been working in the plumbing uh, family plumbing company since, you know, he was a teenager and he never left. He went mm -hmm. to, he went to university for a year, dropped out, probably similar story to your mom. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that plumbing was always there in the background for me. I had grown up every summer, you know, working in the truck with the guys. And I, I knew, uh, I still retained everything. This is something mm -hmm. I grew up doing. Um, and I knew I always had that in the background. Yeah. Right. And when I went away from school, I came back, you know, I talked to my dad about my original plan was, you know, move back near Toronto in the GTA, mm -hmm. help run the plumbing company because they were just swamped with, you know, invoices that they needed to bill, um, you know, just the administrative basically mm -hmm. uh, component of, of that business was far behind and far behind in the times. Yeah. And I, I had started to come up again with ideas of how to fix that. And I met some resistance from my brother, who's very old school, very anti-technology, mm -hmm. uh, to the point of it not being something that's explainable. It's just <laughs> is what it is. And so we started to have friction over that. And you know, me and him are so close that he just, you know what? I, it's not worth it. We both kind of, it's not worth it if we're going to be bickering back and forth yeah. to each other. Because yeah. we've never done that right. in our lives. Yeah, and yeah. So, there's no point. And he was like, you know what you could do to help me uh, in an indirect way mm -hmm. and to help the plumbing business in an indirect way, take all this stuff from the building out there, the apartment building out there that's penetrated this office. <laughs> that he has all of our employees working on yeah. and that he's spending all of his time working on. Take that away. Go manage the building to free up space for us to focus on plumbing. Right. And so I said, that makes perfect sense. I don't want to move. I love London. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, and I met uh, my wife here mm -hmm. who's been in London her whole life. We both like London a lot yeah. more than Toronto. Yeah. And we're both a lot more comfortable here. So I said, okay, great. And um, I started managing the property. Uh, it's a, it's a uh, six-story apartment building. Mm -hmm. And um, the, it's an old building. And the first project I had was, okay, we want to add five apartments to this building uh, using basically space that that um, that they could that they could use to build new apartments that was within the building that wasn't really being used properly. Mm -hmm. And so I came in immediately, started emailing architects, engineers, like some people that my you know dad hired, yeah. and was just like, "Okay, have fun. You know, this is what I want. Yeah. Uh, figure it out." And that was great for me. That's what I'm comfortable right. with. Again, like, give me the reins. <laughs> uh, step out of my step out of my way, yeah. and I'll let me let me take care of it. Mm -hmm. You focus on uh, what you guys need to focus on there. And I learned a ton through that project. Um, again, dealt with all the architects, engineers, uh, put together tender packages for contractors. Got a contractor um, that we liked, and made sure basically that the contractor, the architects, and engineers were doing what they needed to be doing for the project to be finished on time. And I, the timeline was like, 
we wanted it to be done and we were starting in January 2019. Uh, I came into the fold August 2018. For the first few months, I just did whatever, learning very basic stuff and on a part-time basis, you know, mm-hmm. um, 15 hours a week, just kind of checking in, you know, meeting the superintendent, seeing how, how things operate in a property management situation. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I got this project uh, thrown on me like in September, maybe. I think that sounds right. Went full force. Construction started in January. All the permits and stuff had to get approved first. And then um, the target was like May or June or July or something like that. But we hit the target and rented the apartments in three weeks after they were done. And it was an amazing success. And by that point, I was like getting good at it. Yeah. But I was still maybe like 25, 30 hours a week max. Uh, just for the property management. I was also changing all the systems, the way that the communication, the record keeping, Mm -hmm. um, just the way things were done kind of on every level. (laughs) And um, just my dad's involvement just went way down, Mm -hmm. which is what I wanted because he's too busy and he's also not technologically savvy enough to come up with the efficient ways to kind of run that uh, the way that it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of restructured everything he was happy to walk away. And at this point he collects the rent checks and I do everything else. You know what I mean? Everyone's happy. Um, everyone's happy. <laughs> and uh, a component of the property management is dealing with contractors when you need repairs, when people move out and you have to renovate units. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was finding that it was very hard to find a contractor to do competent work at the budget that we had. Which, you know, for apartment buildings, everyone knows it's not like someone's own house that they're going to put, you know, top dollar into. Right. They're trying to they're trying to renovate it on a budget. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know what? You're paying me hourly. Okay. I have the credit card for the business to buy supplies and stuff on. Mm-hmm. Allow me to, to purchase the materials. Let me do this myself. Let me try contracting the renovation. I've seen the process from start to finish, you know, as a project slash property manager. Mm-hmm. Um, enough now. I have my background in plumbing. I started to do all the plumbing in the building slowly over time. So we stopped having to to call plumbing companies. And um, I essentially tried doing all the minor renovation work. At that point, any major renovations, I did find a contractor that, that I could trust for that. And they did a couple. I think they did one full renovation for us and they do repaints and stuff mm-hmm. mostly now. Um, but this was back in July where I said, last July, I said, let me try running a project. So I had found some subcontractors for drywall that I liked mm-hmm. and for other things. And I just slapped it together on short notice and it worked out. Mm-hmm. And it ended up saving um, my dad quite a bit of money because he was paying me hourly and I was buying all the materials at cost. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, then, you know, we kind of discussed like I wanted to get more into the contracting side. It's something that I'm interested in. I like doing the physical work with my hands. Mm-hmm. At that point, I think by like the end of 2019, I was doing all the plumbing in the building, including emergency calls, like all of the mains. If there was an issue, I would shut the building and do. And I was on I'm on call 24 seven even now. Uh, at this moment, I could it could be called in for an emergency. Mm-hmm. So this is I took that part on. I just took more and more on to the point where okay, I'm doing all of the repairs, all the maintenance. And the smaller sort of sweet turnovers that are not necessarily extensive renovation, but 
you know, needs to fix some drywall. We need to, you know, fix a couple pieces of the baseboard. We need to do like a whole list of small stuff that might take me like five days or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, especially when someone's been living there and not taking care of the place for three, four years, and you want to look, to, want it to look pristine, you know, you change the vanity, you, there's a whole bunch of plumbing issues you have to fix, whatever, mm-hmm. doing that sort of stuff. And, um, and at this point, and then I started my own corporation uh, in December of 2019. And from that point on, uh, I started purchasing the materials myself. I had saved up some money to invest into my company at the beginning. Mm-hmm start opening up accounts and everything like that for purchasing materials. And I was still doing everything myself for about six months. Yep. And again, I pushed my, I was getting out what I put in, yep. but I was literally working when I was not sleeping <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Uh, like it was like that pretty much from July, 2019 to June, pretty much for a whole year of really just killing myself. Mm-hmm. And I was tr- attempting, you know, I was again, that narcissism, <laughs> Where it's like, I can figure it out. You know what I mean? Well, if I was in the lab figuring this stuff out, I could figure out drywall. I could figure right. out tile and carpentry and all this stuff, right? Yeah, it's really funny you say that because there's a lot of parallels where sort of on your own in the business world, you can, you can throw yourself in it but get rewarded. Whereas in academia, you're still going to throw yourself in it and you might be out there with no reward in the end at least what you're doing now, you know, something will come of it in the end. Um, I mean, I was, I was getting more out of it. The more I did, the more hours I worked, the more money I got paid. I wasn't doing anything with the money other than (laughs) putting it in my bank account. And you know, I I was already able to pay my bills. And, uh, and then once I started my own business, I actually lost money, Mm -hmm. but I had built up a little cushion before I started because, you know, you, now you have to wait yeah. 30, 60 days before you get paid again. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I hadn't yet done a full renovation, uh, but I see, I see some coming up on the horizon. Some people are moving out where that's going to need to be gutted. And I want a piece of that pie. I right. want to, you know, I see the invoices going yeah. out to these contractors. I want to make that money, right. right? Yeah, yeah. And I could do a better job and I can do it at the cost that, you know, my dad wants. And I'm fine with doing that mm-hmm. because I'm not subcontracting. My costs are lower than the, than the other contractors, which is right. why I'm able to, to offer a better price. Um, so I ended up hiring my brother-in-law. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a lot of family, you know, the family business uh, concept is in my DNA. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny. And even like, but you can even have the parallel going back to your grandpa, right? That sheer force mm-hmm. of will and brute strength Right. That's where your hard headedness is coming from, where you think you can do it all yourself because you almost can, but you can't quite. Yeah. Right. I mean, everyone reaches uh, <laughs> like their capacity. Right. Yeah. Glad, uh, you know, and at that point, you look at what you're doing and you go, OK, I don't need to be doing these things. I can teach someone how to do these things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's always like the thing my brother struggles with is investing time into your employees, mm-hmm. right? Um, because it's going to slow stuff down. I'm already so behind. And it's like, well, that's true. I don't want to be in a position like that. Yeah. So I just took the approach of, okay, can I afford some to hire someone? I'm not really sure. I just kind of went for it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, knowing him, being my brother-in-law, he didn't really have a lot of direction in his life. Uh, not a lot of ambition, but I knew he just kind of needed an opportunity. And I've been given so many opportunities in my life. If 
by my family, I kind of wanted to pay that forward to a kid who's kind of struggling, mm-hmm. um, you know, struggling with family a little bit, relationships, um, struggling financially a bit, not knowing what he wanted to do, needed to pick me up in a lot of different areas of his life, yeah. you know, to, 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 for his own personal growth. And I could see that. And, you know, at the age of 23 years old, yeah. okay, I already had so much mentorship and so many opportunities mm-hmm. and stuff that he hadn't really had. Yeah. And, um, you know, I kind of took him under my wing and still doesn't, I mean, he's still fine with just chilling out at home. He doesn't, he doesn't live to work like I do, (laughs) but he's, you know, he's grown so much since I hired him back in June, just maturity wise. And he's got great character. He knew, he really didn't know, uh, technically what to do Mm -hmm. very well. Mm -hmm. Um, but he just. You know, he's got great character. My, I told him my, my three main things are uh, I don't want someone who complains. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't, and I want you to show up. Yeah. I want you to work hard and not complain. Mm-hmm. Those are the three things. Yeah. If you can do that, I don't care what you know. I don't care if you have any experience right. because I can work with that. Right. And that's exactly what he's been. That's great. And he hasn't learned any bad habits <laughs> for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And he's come along so far and. And I ended up hiring uh, his girlfriend <laughs> as well, <laughs> which is risky, right? Yeah. I mean, if you know if they don't stay together, then what happens? It's very awkward. Mm-hmm. But they're such a tight couple that I, I took a gamble on that and saying I don't think they're. I think these two are intertwined pretty pretty hard, and I don't think they're really going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and she helps me out. She's like my like kind of like personal assistant mm-hmm. slash assistant property manager. Yeah, administrative assistant. She, yeah, for sure administrator but she also does stuff on site like she answers all the phone calls now i got her a cell phone nice you know she, all the phone calls go to her all the text messages that she we share an email inbox so she you know screens nice. the email she kind of like has her finger on the pulse of yeah. what's going on because i'm always you know i like to dive deep into one thing right. and get get that right and now it's different i can't do that all the time yeah. but um so i had those two and then my buddy from toronto ended up moving out here because he we'd be talking right. on the phone he's he had his own little mini construction company in Toronto. It was just him mm-hmm. and and one other uh, helper that he had. But he was mostly doing decks and fences. But he had uh, at the time. But he had experience doing you know working in custom homes, and he worked for many different companies. He'd been in it for almost ten years while I was in university, right? Right, and that's the other thing about going down the rabbit hole of academia, right? You're so committed to this one thing, and actually, all these skills you have, being able to manage a team, being a leader. Being able to identify in a person what they need, that little motivation, that little umph, or even just inspiration to to get them to do something productive. Then they see a reward, they see a benefit, and it builds up their psyche, and then they're even capable of more. You don't get the opportunity to intervene in an academic setting in that way. Whether you're capable or not, it's not rewarded and it's not encouraged yeah. to hire other students, to train other students, to take on more of a leadership role, to plan projects. This is all things where some, for some reason in academia, it's tiered in a way where only if you've waited enough life years are you then allowed to do this. And they somehow think that because the way that's set up, that they only got to lead by the time they were age 40, that there's no way a 25-year-old has that capability, which is completely mm-hmm. counterfactual and actually in the business world is proven over and over again. It's almost like, 
um, capitalism versus communism. Okay, it's not a meritocratous situation yeah. at all. Um, Which you would think but, it was, uh, right? Supposedly, it's academia that's where merit it, it lives. It can be. It can be. <laughs> I mean, there's no absolutes. It yeah. depends on what your experience is. And yeah. so many different people have different experiences. We've just seen, you know, we've seen it play out this way and uh, around us. And that was our particular environment. I'm sure there's universities out there that are much more forward thinking. There are labs out there and supervisor. Now, are they common? No. No. <laughs> but are they out there? I'm sure there are some out there. I mean, there's got to be in every field. It doesn't matter what it is, right. whether it's something like contracting, yes. where you have yeah. any Joe Schmo can say they're a contractor <laughs> and, and, you know, walk a sledgehammer into your house and have a little fun. Yeah. Okay. And, but, you know, not everyone could do that in academia. But the point is, is that there's still only a small percentage in any industry that's actually at the top of that game. Right. And most people don't have their shit together. Right. But it's also... It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, but it's also not related to age. There's just mm. competency and capability. It's the, it's the individual. Right. It's the individual. Right. Like when I was in academia, when you said you don't have the opportunity to inspire others and all that stuff, yeah. to an extent you're limited. But I did have an opportunity to... to um, you know, to to be a TA, mm -hmm. to um, su like basically, I was supervising the undergraduate student and the master's student and helping them with their development. And their experience was a lot better than mine because I put, I prioritize that. That's right. just my personality. Right. You know what I mean? That's I just have that. That's just part of me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wanna, I want to get the most out of people. I want to put people in positions to succeed. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like a good coach in basketball. You know, people always say Popovich uh, for the Spurs. He gets the best out of his guys yeah. so he can have a roster. You're like, who are these <laughs> Right? Yeah. And they're always getting to the playoffs because he knows to tell, you know, this guy, hey, don't dribble the ball, stand in the quarter and, <laughs> and shoot threes because that's what you can do. Right. And uh, I don't level. want you yeah. – Right, or you don't shoot threes because that hurts us, but you can do this, what you're good at. Yeah. It's not just what you can't do. What the focus is on what you can do well. Right. And and trying to put people in situations where they're not going to be likely to fail. Mm -hmm. But um, I have a lot more control over that sort of thing now, mm -hmm. obviously, mm -hmm. because the limitations are based on how well the business is doing. The business is doing great because since I right. hired people, and like I said, my buddy uh, who, who was had his own construction company, kind of his own. He was a sole proprietor for a while and then had one uh, guy working for him. And, you know, he decided to move out here to kind of join forces with me right now. You know, I use him as a subcontractor and we're starting a new business together, a 50-50 business. We're going to try to get out of the apartments and get into custom homes eventually. I mean, we're shooting for the the stars in that regard. As far as you can go in contracting is, is how I want to go. Um, want to do, want to focus on quality and, you know, being able to to put together stuff that's really visually appealing and and um, you know the apartments will always be there, um, but we want to get to that next echelon mm -hmm. of 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 operating at the top of your field. Well, that's what it is, right? right? Um, and he moved out here. He thought he would have a better opportunity to do that with me than by by himself because you need that other person. Yeah, and that's. Um, it's so true because I wouldn't be able to get past where I was just with me and and Tom, my 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 brother-in-law, mm -hmm. because 
it would take me years to get Tom to a level where I could rely on him to free my time up to then grow the business or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of the best contracting companies that I've had run-ins with, they are two, three-person operation where one person focuses more on maybe the acquiring business, mm -hmm. the advertising. One person focuses more on the invoicing and, and the scheduling, and another person is actually on site, you know, leading the job that way. So you need it, it takes it it takes um, a team of people, right. and right now Ty is is the guy on site every day, no exceptions, and I take care of all the in between, and I give direction to. You know my assistant for the property management side of things and things have exploded uh since i've brought people in that's awesome and i can now do the things that i want to do and i'm so happy I come <laughs> at the end of the day i'm still working but i it's for something and i don't have this feeling of dread right in the background yeah. of man i'm just i'm just doing this i'm doing this because i said i was going to do it right I'm not doing this because I'm getting anything out of it. Yeah. So, you know, all the little work I do, all the extra hours I put in doing spreadsheets or whatever, you know, it ends up having some sort of effect uh, that's positive for me. So, yeah, yeah, that's my story. I mean, it doesn't get, you know, there's not much to it other than that. I spit it out as, as fast as possible, but yeah, that was a um, great summary and exactly what I, I wanted to get at here. It's, you built yeah, something, a little bit about you it. built something because you're capable of doing that. And actually that's quite rare. Just like what your dad had, where he had this capability yeah. that not everyone can. That's why he's super successful. He distinguished himself from everyone else trying to do a similar thing. And you have that ability, but you were handicapped in this environment you were at where you couldn't use that ability and where in the rest of your life, those skills help you accomplish all the tasks you're doing because you can have this oversight. You can see how pieces fit together and how people fit together. You're handicapped when you have to refer to someone else to make all these sort of administrative decisions and you can't just go at it on your own exactly how you want. You can't hire the people you want. You can't get them to do the things you want. You can't take the risks that you think are appropriate. And at a certain exactly. point, when you can't do that, okay, sure, that's fine. You understand sometimes you just got to bite the bullet, put your head down, nose to the grindstone, do something earlier on in your career so that later on you do have more independence. I just think that the way academia is set up, especially currently, where you got to do a PhD, increasingly it takes five, six, seven years, and then a postdoc, pretty much you got to do post two postdocs, that's like five years. People don't know this of like also getting paid very, very little, especially very compared little. to your credentials. Um, like you're basically asking again, like really bright individuals, capable individuals to sort of to lease. Suffer a yeah, bit. but they're put they're like leasing their good years, you know, for something in yes. the end. But like it's it's getting longer and longer and the rewards are getting smaller and smaller and the bureaucracy keeps growing bigger and bigger so you can do less and less things and i was just staring at it the whole time being like it doesn't add up like all these professors no. are trying to convince me like you're a really good student it'd be great to have you in academia um 
you know, and you don't have to do it the way we do. You can go at a big institution, you know, and all this. And the more conferences I did, the more people I talked to, the more and more I realized, like you said, everyone's complaining about the same things. I'm trying to get something done. I have to go through this bureaucracy. And then it gets whittled down to like, they're like, okay, I can only get like one thing done per year. So that's all I'm going to worry about. But then they have all these people working for them that don't accept that and aren't in a place in their life with tenure, with a house, with a, you know, stable career to take that long-term goal. And it's not fair to these people that are really ambitious, sort of at the prime of their intellectual and productive, you know, output to kind of temper that just basically like in service of a longer term goal that won't benefit them in any way. And so for me, I was really upset in that I wasn't spoken to honestly. And so I think my degree took about two years too long. I think I finished everything that I published at the three year yeah. mark. You're so I should have been done basically. And I was lied to and told that more things would come out. But instead, Everyone knew that I had done too much already and my supervisor couldn't keep up. So what should have been the honest advice is go get a job, man. You're done. But instead, my supervisor, for some reason, I think got guilty or greedy like every other academic in that, oh, I have you committed for five years. That means I have your labor for five years. And she kept trying to like tack things on at the end. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, you have stuff to get back to me. There, there's no yeah. reason to do this because I won't get it back. You're already really behind. And then I started, you know, getting talked down to for even stating the obvious in this case. And it got to a certain point where like my supervisor essentially gave me an ultimatum where it was like, okay, well, if you don't like it, you can drop out or you can stay. Or if you get a job, then we'll have to get you out. And I was like, okay, I'll get a job then. And that's exactly what I did. And then I did no work until I got, I heard back from my supervisor pretty much three weeks before I had to defend or three weeks before I had to submit my thesis, which is ridiculous because I sent everything like eight months prior. So that whole thing was very strange because I would have left earlier or I would have doubled down on my other interests, which might've been, building an app or something that that I could make some money off of or or start a company where I could hire some other people and keep that part of my mind busy, that leadership and planning capability busy, when essentially I was being told like, oh no, you don't have that capability till you're older. So just stand pat, uh. right? Meanwhile, I'm sitting on like, you know, I was on the board of one of the institutes at the university as the single trainee representative with all these sort of big wigs at the university. And I'm sitting in the meetings and they're just cyclical. These are people that have no idea how to conduct a meeting, have no direction, don't know what they even want themselves, let alone trying to convince a group of people to come to a decision. So most of the meetings just talk in circles until someone, sometimes it was me summarizing the points of the group and saying, okay, this is what everyone's saying, let's move on. Whereas they can keep talking in circles and they're just okay with well, it. Well, I think I think I think a reason for that is that they just want the title of being on that board mm -hmm. more than actually being there for the purpose of getting something done. 
So if they can just talk in circles for an hour and say, okay, meeting adjourned, you know what I mean? They've done their, done what done they need job. to do. They've done their job. They don't actually want to get anything done. And this is the problem in academia. It's right. Every, like you're saying, and this is pretty much every supervisor that I interacted with ended up, whether they wanted to originally or not, getting involved in some sort of administrative position that they didn't end up, it didn't end up giving them any sort of fulfillment. Yeah. It just looked good on their resume. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, even in their 40s and 50s, they're still doing the same, you know, they're, they're still putting in more than they're getting out. And it's that's why I said it's, I look at a lot of these people before I left or while I was there and said, like, they're sad people. Yeah. They're not happy because it doesn't change. It doesn't ever it's not like once you get to that level that right. they say that you need to be at, that all of a sudden, oh, you can do whatever you, you know, whatever your heart desires. You can explore, you know, these avenues and you can make things happen. Does it no, end? because now, you know, someone, someone above you is telling you, no, mm -hmm. you know, actually you need to spend this much time doing administrative stuff. You need to spend this much time doing teaching, which, okay, right? But all these, all these things that are created for the purpose of making each other look better than they actually are. Okay, or more productive, yeah. or more um, prestigious, and that's why when you go into it, you think that's how it's going to be because that's the appearance that's been given off by everyone involved. And whether or not you have good intentions to start with or not, ultimately, if you stay in that system, it's because you've conformed to that way of doing things. At some point, yeah. I wasn't able yeah. to, yeah. <laughs> and neither were you. Okay, I left out right. I didn't have an opportunity to finish my degree. Yeah. Luckily, you know. Your situation, I mean, this could happen. What happened to me could happen to anybody. Right. Really. The way yeah. that things were presented to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You luckily, in the early years while you were there, it was a great lab relative, um, you know, to, to others. For you, sure. you were able to work on things. You had lab tech support. Yep. You had uh, PhD students around you who knew what they were uh, doing yep. and could give you advice and who were willing to help. Uh, your supervisor was also excellent at that stage. Yep, for sure. And... Um, you were able to pump out a ton of work and be highly, highly productive. Yeah. And like you said, you sat there with with the work that you needed to complete your PhD for um, a ridiculous amount of time waiting for that feedback at the end, yeah. right? Um, but I mean, I kind of forget where I was going with this, but you, I mean, you basically, you had that uh, at the beginning, okay? And you were able to get enough, I think is what I was yeah. trying to say, yeah. that you're actually able to finish yes. and still get yes. out, yeah. right? And now you're out, and now you're in the same, you know, in the most basic sense, you're in the same environment that I'm in. You're in the business environment. Right. You're in the real world. Yeah. You're working for a company now that is motivated by, of course, they're motivated by, you know, uh, trying to do research that's going to help humanity, but they th they operate off of, a, off of profit and loss, right. okay? So... Um, there's goals, you know, there's direction, and there's people that need to make decisions. So it's yeah. unacceptable to say, okay, we're just going to think about Let's it. Let's just do now. this super inefficiently. Right. Let's talk it's in circles. Let's option. waste time. Never there is no option. wasting time. Right. There's like, <laughs> if you're not getting stuff done, it's people like you and I yeah. who work there or should be working there. If, if right. they're a successful company, right. they will be people like that working there. Yeah. Because you need people like that in order to get stuff done. Right, exactly. Especially doing what you're doing. Right. You know, so yeah. you're, you've landed in the perfect spot. Um, you got to work your way up the totem pole 
over time, mm-hmm. which I'm sure, again, like, again, if you put in <laughs> what you get out, which is the theme of this yeah. podcast, yeah. Um, I'm sure you will climb that ladder. You're you obviously you're uh, with a lot of other smart people who are also trying to cut, uh, climb the ladder, but you have that narcissism and yes. self-confidence that I do, of course. which is one of the things that unites <laughs> us. And, but the thing is like that narcissism <laughs> and self-confidence doesn't conflict with each other. For some reason, we're just totally accepting and complimentary and like um, happy for one another to just, you know, live in our domains, help each other when we can. No one's stepping on each other's toes. No one's being like, oh, you're too confident or like I'm emasculated because you're too confident at times or vice versa. It's just always also you have true confidence in yourself. (laughs) Okay, if you have true confidence in yourself, you don't need to be worried about what anyone else is doing. Right. You don't need to be worried about this person doing better. I'm competing. Like you're a little more competitive than I am. Like when we were in school and when we played basketball, if I was as competitive (laughs) as you, we would have gotten fist fights on the basketball floor, uh, basketball court. We would have, we probably would have broke up friendship (laughs) over, over test scores. Okay. That's just, I mean, you're a little more fiery than I am as a competitor with other people, but I compete. We both do. We compete with ourselves. Mm. That's really what matters. If I'm yeah. doing better than I did before, that's what's going to, if, if I'm not, that's what's going to chew, you know, chew at me. And there's only one way to fix that. You can't put anyone else down to fix that. Right. You know, you have to, you have to talk to yourself. You have to have realistic conversations with yourself. You to be hey, honest man, you're with not yourself. doing good enough. Right. Yeah. Which many people can't right. do. Those are the you people I, mean? I have issues with. Like people coming at me with, yada 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 you have all this all these issues or you're too confident or you're cocky or whatever and i'm like okay you can say that but like turn the spotlight on yourself for a second and try and identify everything you just projected onto me which is essentially what people are doing all the time especially in the face of someone that's confident or happy or fulfilled in what they're doing people that aren't those things tend to project what they're feeling onto that person. And it's like, it's really obvious from an outside perspective, but in the moment, it's almost impossible to recognize that of yourself. The issue I ran into, you know, at the end of my degree there was I was just telling people to their face, like, no, uh, you're lying to yourself. And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, you're lying to me because you're lying to yourself. And then, you know, they can can never assess that in the situation. But I was it's, just out of patience. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I don't blame I've you. I've done I all mean, this work on myself. I'm very honest and very critical of myself. And that's why I do feel confident because I'm, I worked on myself enough to feel confident, put in the work. And a bunch of people aren't putting in the work and expecting me to give the same credence to their opinions or something. And it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't it's, know. It's a... It's a, you know, it's hard, right? Because you, you don't want to, you have to understand, like what I understand too, more so now being in the world that I, you're insulated, right? When you're in academia, you're in science. Yeah. You're insulated from the general public. Yeah. Because yeah. most people um, are, 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 are not going to do a PhD or they're not going to get into a science degree mm-hmm. university. And so you're you're a re- surrounded by people who are more intelligent than the average person, right? Okay, in some ways, and who have their st- in some way, <laughs> and they and yeah, and they have their stuff together, 
uh, more so than your average person mm -hmm. off the street. Okay. So when, when I left there and especially working in an apartment building, that is gen pop. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And this is not a luxury apartment building. Right. This is a, um, this is a blue collar yeah, in an average uh, population. City, yeah. yeah. In a very blue collar town. Yeah. And, and, you know, but I grew up, I grew up in the plumbing company working at in government housing buildings yeah. and seeing, you know, true horrors. Okay. On a, on a daily basis. So this is something that, I, that doesn't phase me, but yeah. the point is that now I'm working in this environment, it becomes increasingly apparent all the time that maybe the capabilities of you and I, and I, I don't like talking this way because it's so, it's so pompous. Yeah. Okay. But the capabilities of you and I are not the, are not the same. Mm -hmm. in in the average person and, and a very small percentage of people can do what we've done and we're blessed to to very be that blessed way. i take okay. that as i'm very lucky to be born this way but i better do something with it but the thing is is that when you have people who are who are not and we see things on the same level um, and that's why we've connected so much. Of course, we want the best for each other. Mm -hmm. We're both good people. Mm -hmm. We can be seen as overconfident, <laughs> or I think you may be a little bit more that because yep. you're you're more upfront upfront about it. Oh, for sure. I'm more in my head about yeah. it and introverted about it. Yeah. But you know, and and I won't let that out. See, the thing is, is when you let that out to people, uh -huh. it hurts them because they can't understand it, <laughs> right? Because they only understand it from their point of view. And if they're not someone like you. Yeah. They won't just they just won't register, mm -hmm. right? So they want to do what whatever they can to keep everyone on the same playing field because that makes them feel secure. Yes, right. Yeah. When we're not, right, yeah. and that's what the business world allows people to separate themselves out from the pack. Yeah, by you know getting, you know, again, you're still if you're working for somebody else, you can still be suppressed, hundred mm -hmm. percent. Um, and you have to find the best situation for you. I think we, I think you've done that. Yeah. Uh, in your situation, I mean, I've taken advantage of the opportunities that were before me and made the best out of them. That's how I look at my situation. Mm -hmm. I'm happy doing what I'm doing, but the opportunity was there for me. You went and found out the opportunity and seeked out the opportunity that was best for you. Yeah. And I hope that it turns out that way because as we know, it, things aren't always as they, as they appear. Yeah, That's one of the, sure. you know, at the beginning. But I think that you've put yourself in a position where, I mean, if this doesn't work, I mean... You know, this if is this isn't the situation you it. wanted, yeah. yeah, then then you know what? The whole thing is just damned. Well, then I'll do if something it's, my own. Not this, but that's the thing, You'll right? do something. I was yeah, very yeah. close to just buckling down and starting a company myself before I moved out here. I was weighing all my options after the PhD. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I just became more and more aware that, you know, people in positions of power or authority or like business leaders, scientific leaders, None of them had more capability at leading than I do. They may have spent more time in the domain and have some more background knowledge or have the years where they've met people in person and can synthesize who these people are. That's valuable information that I need to tap into somehow and respect that, right? But mm -hmm. I also need my place to roam and run, basically. So... You know, I, I need that space to design projects and lead a team myself. And at Calico, it seems like they will allow me to do that. But I've also been honest with them as well in that I don't want to be a bench scientist forever. I want to be in the executives within five years. That's my goal. 
And if that doesn't work out, then we'll probably go our separate ways. But they were honest with me up front too. They're like, those positions might not be at Calico at that stage, but we're happy to train you and you can go across the street to any one of our competitors and they'll hire you. Like, and that's understood in the system here, right? And startups can also capitalize on that because they're allowed to fail and the people that work for them can go next door and get another job, right? Yeah. So they can afford to set down roots, support a family and not have it hanging over their head that if they fail, then their life is ruined. Whereas I found in Canada, you become a free agent, right? And whereas I found in Canada, especially in the biotech scene, there's just no pharma companies there. There's no venture capitalists in the space there. And so, okay, maybe you do find venture capital for your cancer diagnostics company, for instance, which is something that does exist in Ontario, for example. And there's a couple of them, but still not very many. Even if you can't get the tag on funding to make the company successful. So those Canadian companies always get bought out by the American pharmas anyway. So it's it's that lack of infrastructure that everyone suffers and the Canadian economy can't grow because of it. And vaccines are delayed because they don't make things in the country anymore, where they drove pharma out on purpose back in the day. Brian Mulroney did, making it very difficult for a company to have a physical location for tax purposes, essentially. Um, and, you know, like I, I think through all of these things and my scientific colleagues don't necessarily do that. A lot of them are very satisfied with picking apart the really tiny problem on a small molecule like they can't even see and they'll spend their whole yeah. life on it. And, and that's great. But I know that won't be fulfilling for me long term. There's No, is it is it important for anything? That's almost secondary. And I know... I know like plenty of plenty of supervisors who charted that path. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I would be a guy who uh, if that's what I was doing, I'd hope, you know, I would try to pick the right the right, you know, subfield and the right molecules to look at. But yeah. that's what I was about, man. Yeah. It's just getting lost in the details of stuff. Yeah. And and being a technician. <laughs> and there are people like that. There are different types of people. You're not that person. Not that you can't uh, execute right. technical. I can do it That's for a time. About. But I mean, it's not as fulfilling to you yeah. in and of itself. Um, and and so there's, you know, I think that, like you said, you put yourself in the right environment, mm-hmm. right? And if it doesn't work out, you become a free agent. Yeah. Okay. And now if you are bringing, let's say it's not the right fit, but you're bringing to the table um, a certain package that's going to be wanted or required mm-hmm. by somebody else. I mean, there are other Popoviches out there in every <laughs> industry right. who will see that and put it yeah. to the right use. And if ultimately uh, you go through your, and I'm making obviously a obvious parallel to, to basketball here. Yeah. But uh, if you go through your playing career, mm-hmm. okay, and you start, and you start, you know, um, right. and you get as far as you can with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ultimately you can start your own thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, I know. I mean, you're gonna do everything. You're gonna take all the steps that are necessary in your mind to get right. that done. And I have confidence in your ability to 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 make the right decisions and to do your homework and to put in the work like you always have. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just um, 
you know, the it's been hard, obviously, being isolated out there during the pandemic. Yeah. And there's a ton we want to talk about still, which is <laughs> yeah. funny because we had we had a list. Okay, <laughs> we haven't even got past the first question on the damn list. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Okay. <laughs> basically. Okay. So I think that, I mean, we're, we're at an hour and a half right now because I know when we started it was 250 and now it's 420 my time. We shouldn't do a three-hour podcast. Yeah. I think we should... Um, it's, we're at one thirty-three fifty on my on my uh, audio time here. Yeah, I think we need to talk again. I think For this sure. was really fun. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I just wanted to close by saying that um, your where you are now, like what I was touching on there, getting to the place that you wanted to get to mm-hmm. over the past few months, and you had a relationship that went long distance and that was hard on you. You mm-hmm. had some family issues going on that were hard on you. Emotionally, you were not in a great place. You and our mutual friend had a falling out. Yeah. And that's been hard mm-hmm. on you, I'm sure, mm-hmm. no matter how much you want to admit it Ooh, or, agree, or not at sure. certain points. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's probably very hard to deal with. Yeah. It's hard for him to deal. It's hard for me to deal with too um, because I don't like to see my friends at odds. Yeah. But you know, all these things are going on and it seemed like the work was your job hadn't even really started yet because with COVID yeah. during the pandemic, yeah. you know, you needed to stay home. Um, you're doing a lot of things virtually. You have all these things going on in your personal life that are kind of dragging you down and you're out there alone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can't even go out and meet people right. because of the pandemic. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> You know, so it's, I think that this podcast is, and I think you mentioned this in the intro too that you sent me, but it's, um, I think it's a great opportunity to talk. It's a great reason for us to get together and talk or for yeah. you to get together and talk with other friends. For sure. Um, and um, I think like just talking to you now, you seem, maybe you're good at putting on, uh, putting something on that, you, that that's not true. I don't think so. I think I, I can read you pretty well. I think you, you look healthier, you look happier, you look mm. less stressed out now. Yeah. I think being, being home for the holidays really has done a good benefit for you. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's the right time to start the podcast. You know, you clear the, you know, although the fog is out there right now but you've cleared you know <laughs> that first uh that first layer when you got there of just it's disorienting yeah you know going there not knowing where to be you were in temporary housing then you you know you you came to where you are now and this is everything you wanted this is everything you talked about for years yeah um you're exactly where you want to be it's and it's crazy it's but it's, it's so crazy and it's so awesome yeah and you have so many opportunities in front of you and i think this is a great I think this is a great idea just to just to go through it and just to document it and talk to you have access to a lot of interesting people to talk to, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm glad I'm honored that I was the first one. <laughs> All right. Would I have been disappointed if I wasn't? Maybe. Maybe. Right. Yeah. But that's besides the point. I'm still honored. Yeah. Right? You are the first. And that's I'm really important because you got the, yeah. you got the technical savvy, you got, you know, the conversation ability, you got unique perspectives, um, and we get along. So I wouldn't want to troubleshoot this with anyone else, for real. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm happy to be on the pilot episode. <laughs> you may cut all of this, okay? But 
But I feel like um, maybe, you know, the title should be Get In What You Put Out. Right. Or no, Get sure. Out What You Put In. <laughs> get Out What You Put In. Not the opposite way. Okay. And um, I want to do this again. I think we still have a nice list to, to talk about. Yeah. Um, we've kind of covered the background right. on me. We've touched on some of the background on, on, on you, but... As is always the case when we talk, I do most of the talking, <laughs> do most of the listening. That's why these podcasts are so perfect, right? I know. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> just an excuse it's to true. get you talking, and it's a win for me. Yeah, you just get me to run my mouth here, and <laughs> yeah, I have no problem doing that. Well, we kind of covered the background of how we know each other, the PhD that you went through, why you got out, what you're doing now, and why that's really rewarding, along with some of our opinions and stories along the way. But what I really want to talk to you about on the next one is actually getting at that background from your PhD and from your undergrad. You learned a lot in terms of biochemistry and immunology. And so you can actually explain how the vaccine works probably better than I can, even though I actually keep up with reading these days probably more than you do. Uh, so maybe on the next one, we could tackle um, some of the questions that your friend sent you, which uh, you're saying you talked about at length for a couple of hours. So maybe it won't go that long, but there's some really useful questions that I know a lot of my friends and family are wondering. And this vaccine is super cool. It's something that doesn't just relate to what's going on now in terms of a viral infection, but you can for start sure. capitalizing on this technology uh, for things such as curing certain cancers. So uh, this is very interesting technology. It's based on some very sure and sound scientific principles that biologists really understand. Long time. Right? And it's just been capitalized on um, and a great proof of concept these days. So uh, maybe we'll start there on the next one. Probably talk a little bit more about basketball and how I beat your ass in fantasy last week. Uh -huh. um but yeah we'll keep these conversations going um but this is a conversation with kevin bartman so this has been bridge to the bay with dr matt varis with more to come love you maddie thanks for having me on thanks bud. kev <laughs>